the difference between the word la and la, 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 la. So uh, when he uses the word la, some, church, some uh, translations of the Bible uh, capitalize the word la. And when it's capitalized, um, that is directly speaking about the law that God gave to Moses, the 600 or more commandments and regulations. Uh, they're found in uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy. They were instructions on uh, how the Jews were to live, how they were to worship, and um, to be able to atone for their sins. And so uh, the law, capital L, that Paul refers to, uh, is is referring back to uh, the Jewish law that Moses gave. Then the lowercase l, Paul uses the lowercase l like in the law of sin, the law of the spirit, regarding the principle uh, description of a concept. So some Bible translators will use the term uh, power of sin or power of spirit instead of uh, this word law. And they're nice to us to do that so we don't have this confusion of uh, are we under the law, this law, that law, what are we talking about? Okay, so um, just wanted to try to clear that up as, you know, I, even I kind of get confused sometimes of which, which one's Paul talking about right here. So anyway, we're going to do uh, one chapter today uh, because chapter eight's long and it's very powerful. Uh, I don't want to try to just rush through it. Um, all of Romans is really deep in, their th in, in Paul's presenting theology and, and doctrines and all that. It's very powerful, not too uh, fluffy uh, with his words, um, pretty deep subjects. And so we're going to get into that uh, today. And so I didn't want to rush through trying to do two uh, chapters here. So um, let's get started. Verse 1, and there's a Bible uh, on the chair in front of you. If there's uh, not, you could reach around behind you, and, and so I encourage you to follow us uh, along here. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Verse 2, he's saying, For the law, the impulse to right action emanating of the Holy Spirit, who stores and imparts life in Christ Jesus, has set you free, has liberated you from the dominion of sin, from the law, the wrong action emanating from the power of sin and death. Jesus has set us free from the power of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law, capital L, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. And he explains how God did this. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is powerful 
So the, the capital word law failed to, in bringing freedom. It could not set us free from the power of sin. So God provided another way. Christ comes to do that which the law couldn't do. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came as in human form. If he were back then, uh, he would look just like uh, one of us. Uh, he wasn't glowing. He wasn't floating. Uh, he wasn't rising above us, although he had the power to do any of that. Uh, he came as a person in the same flesh, uh, just like we did. His flesh, um, as, as we have a sinful nature, he, in human form, had a sinful nature, but he never sinned. He was not sinful. He came in human form, complete with a heart, a soul, a mind, just like us, but he was holy and he was sinless. The phrase requirement of the law in verse 4, Jesus' offering of himself as our sin offering according to the law, fulfilled our requirement. He paid the penalty that we should have paid our sins. Uh, he paid it for us so that we could be free and no longer walking under the power of the flesh, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to walk righteously. These next several verses explain the difference between walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We have a slide up here that tells, you, tells us some of the differences between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. What is our mind set on? It's not so much asking, what do you think about? Uh, it's, it's rather, what is his or her, what's a person's orientation? What's their mind uh, ten, tendency um, to do? Not just, oh, I was thinking about tacos today, or I was thinking about uh, football. Uh, not just what we think about, but in our everyday walk, what, are we ten, what do we tend to do? What do we lean towards? What do we orientate? Uh, what's our orientation? So a person still under the power of their sinful flesh will be oriented to worldly things. Uh, pleasure, uh, greed, power will control their actions. A person with a transformed and renewed mind of the Holy Spirit will be oriented to godly things, living right selfless, uh, the welfare of their soul and other souls, uh, their uh, concern uh, for eternity, 
Not just uh, living uh, this day, living in the present, but their mind is on eternity. A mind set on the flesh results in death and destruction. It is hostile toward God, meaning a mind set on the flesh doesn't want to do anything that, the God, that God wants us to do. Hey, they, uh, a mind set on the flesh uh, doesn't want to submit to God. It wants to serve itself. Me, 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 me. It's not able uh, to serve God. Matthew uh, Henry, a commentary I like to read, says uh, about the, the mind of the flesh, it is not only an enemy, but an enmity itself. It is not only the alienation of the soul from God, but the opposition of the soul against God. It rebels against his authority. It thwarts his design. It opposes his interests and spits in his face. But a mind set on the spirit brings life and peace. The exact opposite. Everything I just said uh, a mind on the flesh does, uh, a mind set on the spirit does the opposite. It wants peace with God. It's always going to be uh, wanting to please God and live for him. It wants to live in peace. It doesn't want to live uh, against or in opposition uh, to God. It wants to live in peace with God. And in the next several verses, we'll elaborate more. But the mind and heart is what controls our thoughts. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, and a man, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? What we thinketh, so are, that is, that's what we are, who we are. Verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, capital H, Jesus, if the spirit of him who raised the spirit, uh, sorry, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful right there. I feel like you're kind of quiet this morning. We need to pump that one up a little bit. Verse 11 again. If the spirit of Jesus, of, of him, of God, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells in you. This body of flesh and death and destruction is brought to life through the Spirit. When we, when we are changed and our minds uh, transform, man, we have life instead of death. All the things of walking in the flesh, when we uh, commit and we ask Jesus in our heart, all the things we've talked about in Romans so far, we confess our sins and God changes us and we're made righteous 
through him, all of this old stuff is gone. We have all this new and, and we have life in our dead bodies. Jesus uh, was brought back to life just like God breathed into Adam and brought him to life. He breathed into Jesus in that tomb and brought him back to life. That same power uh, is in you, breathing into you life. Are you excited? Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not a real pumped up person either, so if I was in the crowd, I don't, I don't say a lot of amen. I don't say a lot of amens myself, but I feel like I'm feeling it this morning. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so as we've learned the past few weeks about how we are made righteous, if you have confessed your sins, believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and the Holy Spirit is in you, your mind is transformed through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the fruits of the Spirit are evident. Okay, the, the fruits of the flesh that were, uh, you know, pleasure, greed, power, uh, are replaced with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. You guys can name them. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, the life, this life, uh, is a result of walking in the Spirit. It's speaking of both now and eternally. Our eternal lives have been resurrected also so that we will spend eternity in heaven. The promise that uh, Jesus uh, makes us isn't just for our life to be um, abundant and uh, awesome now, but eternally everlasting life Jesus brought. Verse 12, so then brethren, we are, un we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul sums up uh, verses 1 through 11 here in verses 12 and 13, saying, Christians, as the brethren, he, he termed it, we are under obligation to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We owe nothing uh, to our sinful nature. It has done nothing but caused destruction in our life. We owe all to God. This next section uh, of scripture is powerful in explaining our adoption as children of God. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Man, this is deep stuff here. So those who no longer follow the flesh 
but uh, follow the Holy Spirit. They're called sons or daughters of God. We're children of God. And I like this phrase, uh, led by the Spirit. We used to be slaves to sin. Okay, we uh, will address that in the next verse here. But as we are led by the Holy Spirit, we listen to him in all situations. We follow his guidance. The Holy Spirit will warn us of temptation, will convict us of sin. Last week, Paul introduced the uh, concept of sanctification. The Holy Spirit helps us in that process. Okay, the Holy Spirit um, is our tutor or our guide, if we can put any of our uh, culture uh, to describe it. He would be like a tutor or a guide helping us to live righteously, uh, to grow in our relationship uh, with God. One commentary said, it's the daily, it's the hourly putting to death of the schemings and the enterprises of the sinful flesh by means of the Spirit. is a matter of being led, directed, impelled, controlled by the Spirit. And next it brings us this powerful statement of adoption into God's family. We are no longer governed by the influence of sin and fear, but we are governed by the Holy Spirit. And, the fact, and that fact makes us cry out to our Abba, our Father. The word, uh, this is an interesting phrase that you could spend a whole sermon just on Abba, Father. But quickly, the word father here is used generally to say this person is a father, okay? Um, it's it's uh, generally descriptive of a male that has children. This person is a father, a grandfather, whatever. When you place the word Abba before it, it means you are my father, so you're uh, putting your, uh, you're claiming that person, okay? God the Father has claimed us, and so we claim him, okay? And verse 16 explains that the Holy Spirit uh, confirms in us, and our spirit agrees that God the Father is our Father. Does that make sense? Okay, so what comes with sonship? Sonship. If we are uh, children of God, sons, daughters of God, he's claimed us as his children. He's adopted us into his family uh, and we've claimed him and we've uh, joined his family, right? What's that mean? What, what's a privilege of being a child of someone? You're an heir, Right? You have an inheritance. We inherit good and bad from our earthly family. Right? Um, an inheritance can be material objects. It can be money or it could be power in some places. Okay? But we also we inherit characteristics from them, good and bad. Some characteristics are hereditary, right? Here in verse 17, Paul explains that through adoption, 
We are heirs of God, heirs of Christ, and we inherit suffering with Christ. But we also inherit, uh, we will be glorified with him, meaning we will inherit eternal life in heaven. So just like some of our earthly inheritance aren't always great, sometimes it is a great, uh, our, our, our spiritual inheritance as children of God, we're going to share in the suffering, uh, but we're going to share in the glory uh, of the end times and the victory uh, that comes in being children of God and spending eternity with him. He further explains our inheritance uh, in, verse six, in verse 18 and, and following. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not, worth, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We will suffer for our faith. Choosing to follow God, being led by the Spirit, and acknowledging that He is our Father will not be a popular choice among mankind. And we can see that if you've seen it in your everyday walk. There are people murdered for not renouncing their faith in God. In America, we don't see that extreme yet, but we see the pushback that comes to those who take a stand for God's truth. When we uh, want to uh, change the laws to be something that uh, a Christian value or something that God, that would line up with God um, and other people in the world don't want to see it that way, we get pushback, right? You guys following me? Uh, When you take a stand in your family, uh, when you take a stand at work, when you just make comments about uh, the Lord and about your faith, sometimes we receive pushback. That's the suffering that comes as followers of Christ. Jesus even told us that we will be hated for following him. He makes it clear. Every promise Jesus made will come true, including that one as well. Being a Christian is not easy I hope when uh, you decided to follow God, I hope you weren't thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be blessed. Pastor Kevin said we're blessed, right? But we're blessed in persecution. And the guy we're following, Jesus, uh, he promises that we're going to be hated for following him. That doesn't sound great and wonderful, right? It's not easy, but you are blessed and you are prosperous, but maybe not the way that the world defines those terms. But Paul says, our suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that we will receive. Meaning it may uh, be rough and we may feel like, man, our suffering is, uh, is too much. But it's not, it's nothing uh, compared to the glory uh, that's in Christ Jesus that uh, is going to come in in times, in the last days, and for eternity. Our life is very short, and our time span on earth uh, is so small and minute in comparison to eternity. And that's what Paul's getting at here is, man, you're going to suffer for just a little while. 
but for eternity, you're going to be in glory with heaven and all the things. We, uh, you look at the end time prophecies and the new heavens and the new earth and the thousand year reign with Christ. All of this stuff is going to be so awesome and powerful and we're going to be victorious and we're going to be reigning and it's going to be so good that when we look back on this 70, 80 years that maybe we were suffering, it's going to be nothing. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Explain this for just a quick second. Just as our flesh was affected by sin, creation itself uh, was corrupted. If you look back, uh, we have a lot of farmers here. Farming would be really easy if it wasn't for sin. Water just came up from the ground. You didn't have the flooding. You didn't have the drought. Everything was perfect. Uh, right before uh, sin entered Adam and Eve, uh, that was one of the curses. Adam had to till and work the ground. So farmers, you can thank him for that as well. Before that, uh, the ground probably didn't have any weeds or didn't have disease. And uh, you got an abundant crop all the time. So creation uh, was affected uh, and, and destroyed and corrupted. And it's longing, it's groaning to be set free from it. In the same way that we wait for God and we're expectant of him and we're persevering in our, in our uh, endurance and waiting and our hope, creation is too. Creation um, is longing to be saved or resurrected just like we're resurrected. And there will be, um, it will be redeemed and it will be made new in the end times when there's a, a new heaven and new earth and all that. For we know, he continues in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul goes into more detail. Creation groans and suffers uh, the pains of childbirth. That imagery is used in, in Matthew and John to describe conditions of the last days. Groaning describes the expectation that believers have in God uh, to call us home and to redeem our bodies uh, in the rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but when uh, our bodies will be taken up into the sky, joined together with our souls in the last days, there we're eagerly waiting for that redemption, for that resurrection, and creation is too. We'll see that word groaning here in a couple of verses about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. 
The other word uh, used here and used in Matthew in the last day description is birth pains. We see earthquakes, we see floods, we see droughts, we see famine. And all of those things will continue. Uh, They'll increase uh, in number. They'll increase in uh, devastation. And it's creation. It's the earth uh, groaning as in like birth pains. And I don't know what that uh, feels like. Women, you could probably know what that feels like. There's an expectation uh, of the child that's in you, but there's pain uh, that comes with it. And it's the same thing in creation. Uh, Creation glorifies God. And creation knows that it's corrupted and it's longing to be uh, redeemed. And so the earthquakes we see and and the flooding, all of that is, um, it's it's groaning to be redeemed just like uh, we are. And we will be resurrected, like I've already stated, and, and, the earth and, and the earth and creation are waiting for God to say, now's the time, here we go, uh, let's redeem this place. <laughs> Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we, eager, we wait eagerly for it. The reason we're groaning and creation is groaning is because we have the hope that uh, someday we will see the promises fulfilled and we will be redeemed and we will see uh, eternity in heaven, that the suffering that we're going through now, uh, uh, the, the promises will be true and we have that hope. We haven't seen it yet. I can't hope for a cup of coffee because I have a cup of coffee. So it's no longer hope, okay? Uh, we're hoping and that hope Uh, We wait with perseverance, meaning we're going to go through uh, the tough times and we got to continue to believe and continue to trust and have faith and that hope will not disappoint. This hope we have uh, will not disappoint. We keep living, we keep going by the Spirit, we persevere and we will see victory in the end. How How do we persevere? through the Holy Spirit. He helps us through the suffering and he uh, helps us through our weaknesses that we will come out victorious. Verse 26, in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps our weakness for we don't know how to pray. He gives an example here. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We see another way the Holy Spirit helps us as we live by the Spirit. He helps us in the areas that we are weak When it comes to prayer, this is a powerful truth that when we don't know the words, we don't even know how we could pray for a certain situation. Man, uh, 
I don't even have an example, but something happens in our life and we just need God uh, to intervene and we don't know how to pray or what to pray. The Holy Spirit promises uh, he sees us, God sees what you're going through and the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words. This is a, a concept that's probably hard for us to understand. We know Jesus is at uh, the right hand of the Father right now, and he's interceding for us, and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And sometimes it's uh, hard for us to grasp that the same God that created earth and is so powerfully um, involved uh, in his creation and in that life knows what's happening in little old me in Carrington, North Dakota, or in my family. Man, but he knows everything. And that's probably uh, such a powerful truth uh, to, uh, for us to understand if we can grasp that, man, God created, a, uh, made creation, and we can grasp that, and we have uh, so much faith to believe that. Man, what's more powerful is that he's at work in his creation. And man, if you can understand the powerful truth that he sees you every day, he knows you, uh, he knows what you're going through, um, you're his child, he knows what gifts, that's another lesson uh, Jesus taught, man, if God, if your fa earthly father knows how to give good gifts, how much better uh, gifts your heavenly father would give, and God is involved in your life, have faith and following the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, uh, direct your path, help you along the way, that the times that you're weak, he is strong to help you. Verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is a famous verse quoted a lot. The, the term all things, it's all our inheritance. It's all the blessings. It's all the sufferings. God, in all his sovereignty, in his, all of his grace, he'll take all of that. And like, uh, like how physics work in the body in various ways, according to how the physician uh, would work it, but it's all for the patient's good. And like how several ingredients come together uh, to put in a little pill we call medicine or, or a syrup that is intended to cause healing, God works all of our things, all of our suffering, all of our uh, inheritances, all the blessings, all the good, everything that's happening in our life works it together for our good. It may not be good in the moment that we're going through it. We may not understand, I don't know how this is going to be good. <laughs> Man, but when we take a step back, and we look back over our life and through these situations, we can see how God has used, uh, used it as a whole, used all the things together to work it for our good. The good to which all things work is related to the purpose to which we've been called. 
conformity to the likeness or image of Christ. His will is that we be conformed to Christ. Not every part of life will always be good. But like I said, when we step back and we look at our lives, we will see how God was using it to fulfill the good. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I'm telling you, this whole chapter is full of really deep uh, doctrine. Uh, This is a huge doctrine among uh, churches and denominations. Um, And and this verse uh, makes you think really hard, okay? Some doctrines are formed here that God has a list already of who's going to make it to heaven and who's not and who he has predestined to go. And what I believe uh, Paul is doing here is that he's continuing uh, the theology of salvation and it's for everyone who believes I don't think there's a list that uh, you have to worry. I don't know if I'm on that list. Like, I, man, it, uh, I don't know how do we know if we're predestined, if we were uh, called. I don't know uh, how, you know, I don't know how that goes. I don't believe all of that. God's word says that all, uh, that God loved the whole world, that everyone who would believe would have eternal life. And he talks about, um, that, not, that his desire is that none should perish, okay? The main points of these verses is to provide certainty about the believer's eternal future based on God's sovereignty. God's predetermination is to save mankind and that such predetermination guarantees its occurrence. Since I have a couple of minutes to just reading over this last couple of days, when he says in verse 24, for those who he foreknew, he knew you before creation. And it, the, there's a verse in Psalms that uh, before you were, uh, when you were in your, the, your mother's womb, he, he um, ah, my mind's going, uh, he formed you uh, intricately and it, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. I can't think of the verse, but uh, in, in Psalms it describes how uh, he knit us together in our mother's womb. Okay, He knew us before we were created. When we talk about earlier about Abba Father and how we're adopted to be sons and daughters of God, that's his desire is for all of us uh, to be his children. When, he, when the word here uh, foreknew, he also predestined. It says desire that everybody, he knew you before. Uh, he destined you before that you would follow after him, that you would conform to Christ, that you would be led by the Holy Spirit, that you would, wouldn't walk in the flesh, but you'd walk by the Spirit. Does God know who's going to make it to heaven? Does God know what your uh, life's going to be like? 
I, I believe that. I believe he knows how you're going to live and what you're going to choose. Does he uh, have a list? That, does he predestine people uh, to go to heaven and some to go to hell? I, don't, I think it's his desire that everybody would go to heaven. And he probably, he knows everything. So he probably knows what you're going to choose, but he still chases after you. He's still uh, your son or daughter that you're praying for their salvation, that they would turn to Jesus. Like He wants them to turn to him more than you do. He loves them more than you do. Okay? He's not going to give up on them. The final verses of the chapter, we'll wrap up as we read them together culminating in the final verse that um, this chapter is kind of summarized by the end of the chapter instead of a a key verse in the start of it verse 31 Paul says uh, what then shall we say to these things to everything from verse 1 uh, to verse 20 to verse 30 what should we say to these things if God is for us who is against us He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are are for you, are interceding for you and with you. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword What's going to separate us or who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? 36, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul says, but in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We have victory through Jesus who loved us that no matter what happens in our life, if we just keep going, we keep walking in the Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit to help us each and every day. You're not trying to live for God on your own. God's not watching you to see how you fail. He's providing you with all the tools, all the weapons that you can have a victorious life. And he comes to verse 38, and it's a powerful statement. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Stand together. Yeah, you can clap. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Praise God. Worship team, if you want to come. I know the last few weeks I've been late, so we're like right on time, man. Praise, praise God for that. And I don't see it snowing yet. 
Um, I was praying that the storm would be pushed the other direction, so maybe it's actually going to happen. But as we close today, I want to encourage you, man, no matter where you're at um, in your walk with the Lord, if you don't have a relationship with God, and this is the day to begin that. If you've been walking with the Lord and trying to do things on your own and you need the power of God, the power of the Spirit to walk with you, to help you through the tribulation or distress or the persecution, the, the promise of sufferings, if you need help uh, in that, man, the Holy Spirit is here today to help you that this last verse would be a statement that you would be able to make, that you would be convinced that no death, life, angels, principalities, things to come, things of the present, no depth or height, no created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Man, God loves you so much. And that love is more than just a fluffy like, oh, I feel good this morning. God loves me. No, he loves you like a father and he's, he's crying out for you. He wants to adopt you as children and he's waiting for you to cry out to him and declare him as your father. And you can do that this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I just love you, Lord. I thank you for all, uh, just all the things we've learned today, the deep truths of Romans chapter 8. I pray as we go uh, from this place that you'd help us to think, to meditate on these things, of take it to heart and know what are you speaking to us. If there's people here that don't know you, Jesus, they haven't confessed to you, they haven't began a walk with you, Lord, they need you today. God, would it happen? Would you help them God, as they pray and turn their life over to you? God, that uh, they would be set free uh, from the things of the flesh. God, and you would bless them. For those that have a relationship with you, God, and they are walking, they are following you, Lord, but sometimes the sufferings and the persecution, the hard times, life, the created things in life, other humans and circumstances and things that we have to do to live, sometimes those get in our way of our relationship with you and being free to live for you, God. Sometimes those weigh us down. And if there's people here today, God, that need you to help, man, which they feel your presence in their life today. We cry out to you for help in these areas, God. So congregation, as we close in a song, uh, don't worry too much about singing it and worry about uh, praying in your heart what you need from the Lord this morning. So let's sing together. If you would like prayer, please come forward uh, during this time and we'll uh, spend this time in prayer and then we'll come up and dismiss. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we just love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Thank you for this service. As we go, Lord, you just continue to speak to us uh, the truths that you've imparted today and we've discussed and kind of digest, Lord. Just continue to work in our life. Bless your people as they go. And we would uh, be able to share your love and joy with others. And we just praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be dismissed. You can leave your surveys on your chair or put them in the, in the, it's in the lobby.